You can turn over in your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning. 1 Kings 17th chapter. There was a couple from North Oklahoma who decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out during one particularly icy winter. Because they both had jobs, they had difficulty coordinating their travel schedules, and it was decided that the husband would fly to Florida on Thursday and his wife would follow the next day. Upon arriving as planned, the husband checked into the hotel. He decided to open his laptop and send his wife an email. However, he accidentally left off one letter in her address and sent the email without realizing the error. In Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He was a pastor of many years who had been called home to glory. The widow checked her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. Upon reading the first message, she fainted and fell to the floor. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen which read, Two, my loving wife, from your departed husband. Subject, I've arrived. The message was, I've just arrived and I've been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. I am looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, we're talking about widows this morning. So I thought that was a good story for us to start off here. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about frustration and some things that come from it, just to review some of this, uh, this, these uh, principles we've gone over before. When frustration sets in, we feel, first of all, powerless. Secondly, we can feel confused. And third, unjustly treated. Powerless, confused, or unjustly treated. We saw that the disciples got frustrated because they were battling the waves. This is a long time ago, a couple number of weeks ago. And they fought with them all that they could, bailed out water all they could, but they were getting frustrated and they were failing. It wasn't working. Frustration arises when we do what we know to do with all diligence and fail to get the results that we need. How many times have we done all that we know to do and we expect to get a certain amount of results and it's not coming and we can get frustrated? We think that God ought to look at our effort and make up what we lack. When He doesn't, We get upset. Frustration is a feeling of dissatisfaction often accompanied by anxiety or depression resulting from unfulfilled needs or unresolved problems. Over here in 1 Kings chapter 17, the last couple of weeks we look particularly at missions that are considered to be impossible. Difficult requests, unreasonable requests and how we are to rise up. That the people in the body of Christ who rose up to meet the request were promoted, blessed. God used the opportunity to move them ahead and wherever they were at on the job, in the kingdom. And the people who decided not to fell into obscurity. No one heard about them. Nothing came good for them. But we're leaving that area here now and just to get us ready for where we're going here next. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Then Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilly said to Ahab, more than likely Tishbite is just something that help us, helps us or help them locate where he was in Gilead, but doesn't help us much at all. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the book Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. 
For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, Elijah's name means God is Jehovah. What a great name for a prophet, huh? But he says, There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. The time that it was, was uh, three and a half years. We know that from Luke 4, verse 25, when Jesus talks about this event. It's actually going to be three years from the time that Elijah makes this prophecy until it happens. So probably the drought had been going on for about six months before he came up and spoke this word. But what he's saying is, until I say it, no rain and no dew will come upon this land. Now, what happens a lot of times we read something like this, we think that, how many have read this and think, well, God must be is sending a drought upon the land. And until God decides that there's not going to be a drought upon the land, there will continue to be a drought upon the land. But that's not really what the passage is saying. Israel has fallen into idolatry. When Israel would fall into idolatry, God said one of the consequences of it is that the land will not get its rain. And so the reason that it came is not because God sent it, it's because Israel disobeyed. <laughs> Because they fell into idolatry. And God told them, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Moses even had them command. They, they had to stand on the two mountains. And they uh, talked about the blessings and the curses that would happen if they obeyed the law. And Joshua even charged them and said, hey, you all decide right now. Which way do you want to go? If you decide to follow the Lord, these things are going to happen. If you decide not to, then they won't. But if you're going to follow the Lord, he's going to help you. He's going to bless you. But if you turn against them, this is what's going to go on. And they all said... We're going to follow the Lord. And so that's the direction that they went. What really is going on here is that God says this drought will continue until the word of the prophet comes to say that it will stop. So it's not so much God sending a drought as it is no rain or dew until God's man calls for it. We looked just at the end of the last service. We looked at the words that Mary spoke, that the angel was talking with Mary. And until Mary finally got to that point and said, be it unto me. As you have said, until she gave him those words to speak, those words to work with, he didn't leave. He stayed there. There's more about that passage, but we'll get into it later on. But then the word of the Lord God came to him and said, Go to a place where provisions would be sent. The place was the brook Cherith. There would be water that would come there for a while until the land would completely dry up. And the ravens, they would come and they would bring food. Now, the ravens are an unclean bird. It's one of the ones that are described as being unclean, probably because they eat, they're scavengers, they eat dead things. That's probably why they're not supposed to eat it. They eat all kinds of stuff, but dead things is among them. The raven is talked about in the days of Noah. Noah sent out a raven. Jesus talks about the ravens in some of his teachings. But uh, we see them here, and the ravens are the ones that are selected. They're going to be bringing the food by for Elijah. That's interesting, though, how this came about. I heard somebody discussing this and they brought up a, a point that part of the idolatrous worship that King Ahab was involved with involved that they would set out a food table in the morning and in the evening and this was part of their sacrifice to their God. And birds and other things would come down and descend upon it and they, they would eat the stuff that was there. And one of the birds that would come would be the raven. And so some of these ravens were commanded by God and they obeyed and they took the stuff they got from the table of Ahab and they brought it to Elijah. In the end, what happens here is that Elijah is fed by Ahab, the enemy. 
The one that he's hiding from. The one that God doesn't want him to be found by. Ahab, who's mad at Elijah, is actually, every morning he sets out the food, he is feeding Elijah. Boy, wouldn't that just get him mad. How many of you have people that have, uh, they're, they're against you? God can make it so that ravens bring stuff from them to you. Isn't it amazing that during the drought and during the famine and things that would go on, that this king still sacrificed to his idol every morning, every evening, and put this food out there? Now, what happened here, and the reason that he moves on, is that the brook dries up. It does not say that the ravens stopped bringing the food. But along with food, you need, need water. So the ravens continued to bring the food and probably would have continued to have brought the food, except that the brook dried up. So he needed another place where there would be some water. And so God gives him the command. He says, I need you to move on. Now here, make sure you get this part. When a provision or a blessing from God dries up. How many of you had a provision or a blessing from God dry up? Maybe a job. Maybe a particular way that, that finances came or blessings came or something that was coming to you. It was a particular blessing. It was particularly good. And it dried up. Anybody been there where that's, that's disappeared? Yeah. And you can get upset. Remember Jonah? He was underneath the tree. The tree sprung up, gave him some shade, and the thing went away. And he's upset because he lost it. When a provision or a blessing from God dries up or stops being a provision or a blessing, many choose to get frustrated and upset at what they lost and don't hear what God is moving them on to. There are many times that God has dried up a particular blessing in an area for the purpose of moving you on. It does not always mean that, but it sometimes does. God does not always move people on. When the children of Israel went out into the wilderness, did did their blessings, their provisions dry up? Yes. And what did God do? Provided them another way. Then He didn't want them necessarily to move on. He wanted them in the wilderness. So just because something is dried up doesn't mean you move on, but you listen to God. You don't get mad, upset, and frustrated. Because that won't help you here. God does not always move you on, nor does just moving to something different mean you are moving on. Sometimes you're just moving to something different. And whether rightly or wrongly. So anyway, God told him, alright, the brook has dried up, so I want you to move on. The food's still coming, and he's got to obey. Now here's the thing that Elijah's doing. The food is still coming, but the water is gone. And God says, move. It's particularly hard to move on when only part of what you were getting dried up. And part of it's still coming in. But we go on. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Arise, go to Zarephath. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into, into this land. Sidon is where Ahab's wife came from. And so God is now going to put Elijah right in the homeland of the evil Jezebel. We're going to hide him there. Now, God is not necessarily hiding him for Elijah's safety. He doesn't want him found because he doesn't want him to say anything that's going to bring the uh, rains back until God is ready for the rains to come back to this thing, until he sees something on their side that he can act on. And he hasn't had that yet. Now, I put it in your outline, proclamation is good, but never replaces obedience. It is good to proclaim the things that God's going to do. But if God has said to do something and you don't obey, you can proclaim all you want to. Proclamation does not replace obedience. 
you must obey. If God says, do this, go about it this way. Remember the leper we looked at? Go wash in the Jordan seven times. He didn't say wash in any other river. He said wash in that one. If you want to bring the thing to completion, you got to obey. You can proclaim all you want to. I'm healed of leprosy. I'm this, I'm that. Doesn't matter. You got to obey. Proclamation is good, but never replaces obedience. He said, I have commanded a widow there. In Luke 4, 26, Jesus says, but to none of them was Elijah sent, none of the widows of Israel, was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, he's using that as a point. Basically, he's saying there wasn't a widow who qualified. There wasn't a widow who would listen. But over here, there was. So we went over there and we found one. Now, he said, I have commanded a widow there. This is past tense. This means God has already done it. But it seems when Elijah comes on the scene, it doesn't quite seem that she knows exactly what she's supposed to do. Verse 10. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. Well, God didn't send him a picture. You know, he wasn't like one of those uh, crime-stopping guys who's got the phone. I'm going to send you the picture of what the uh, perpetrator looks like. And they look at the phone. Okay, that's who we're looking for. Or, you know, they'd reverse it. How many times do they take a picture? So you tell me who this is. And they tell you, you know, within five seconds. Oh, that's so-and-so. He's associated with this one, this one, this one. And he's a bad dude. <laughs> I mean, it's really cool to watch all that stuff go on. But Elijah didn't have all that stuff. God just says, go over to Sidon. And now there's going to be a widow woman there. And she's going to help you out. I've commanded her to provide for you. Now, I don't, what, do you what are you thinking? I'm, I'm thinking if God's going to provide for me, I'm looking for somebody rich. Maybe a rich widow woman. But somebody rich. Yeah, I want somebody, somebody with some money, some means, maybe a big garden, nice vineyard, something. No, we got a widow. And we're finding one and she's out there gathering sticks. If you see a widow out by the gate gathering sticks, probably she's not very well off. She arose and went to Zareph. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And he called to her. He called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Now, beside there being famine because there was a drought, what else are they lacking? Water. They are lacking water. So he says, please, please bring me a little water in a cup. If you have a drought and it's gone on now, when you know, six months was until he was commanded to go over to the brook. He was at the brook. The brook dried up. The drought's been going on long enough that the brook has dried up. And so now he heads over here. Water is probably already a scarce commodity. But he says to the woman, give me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And she went to get it. Now, if water is in short supply, this is a widow woman. She doesn't have a whole lot of means there. Why does she go and get the water? doesn't say anything. Well, there's this guy. And as for water, I'll go get him some. So Elijah realizes this is not a big test of her faith. It's a piece of cake for her to do that. You know, it's a whole lot easier to obey on the stuff that doesn't test our faith. It's so easy to obey on stuff that doesn't test us, that isn't hard. It's the stuff that tests us. That's the, those are the things that are difficult. So look at verse 11. And as she was going to get it, she hasn't gotten it yet. She didn't go get it and bring it back. As she's going to get it, he says, bring me some water. She turns around. She's going to get the water. Wherever it is that she's going to get it from, it's not with her. She has to go get it. So she's going to get it for the man. He calls to her and says, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Obviously, that wasn't a test enough, so we got to push this up a little bit. Tell you what, beside the water, bring me some food. We've uh, upgraded the request. How many like upgrades? You know, you, 
You go on a plane, you fly in coach, and they say, we can offer you an upgrade to first class, free of charge. Is that good? Oh, yeah, yeah. Upgrade. Mm-mm. Like that stuff. Well, we find out why in the next verse. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. The reason that giving water was not a challenge for her was because she didn't think she would outlive her supply of water. She didn't think she would live longer than the water. She thought that she would run out of food before she ran out of water. So water is not an issue. What is an issue? Food. That's the issue. So she has some water. And when she's looking at the comparison, I'm not going to be here to enjoy the rest of that water anyway because we're going to eat the bread and die. She has no hope. Giving, put this in your outline for you. I want to make sure you got this. Giving what you don't think you need or won't be around to use is not faith. Giving what you don't think you need or won't be around to use is not faith. This is giving without hope. And the Word of God tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith must have hope. It has to have something forward that it's looking at. She has nothing forward to look at that the water is going to help her with. So she can give it away. So Elijah says, this isn't testing her faith. We need to up this. Bring me some food too. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathered a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. There's no hope there. This is our last meal. We're going to eat this. As long as it lasts, that's how long we're going to be. Now, get a picture of the, of the woman. You have been not eating a whole lot. What you've been, if you, if, if food is short, you don't eat all you want every day, do you? You kind of cut back on it. And I don't have a, re- a way to get any more, so you just eat a little bit today. Cause you're trying to take what you have and stretch it out, hoping that if you stretch it out long enough, that you'll have enough of some more to come on in and you'll be okay. She's trying to make it through to that point. At some point, she gives up hope. At some point, she realizes what I have is not going to make me last until and hope is gone. How many of you have ever been in believing God for something in your life and you reach the point where all of a sudden hope is gone? You're holding out hope, holding out hope, holding out hope. hope. Oh, I just know if we just hang on, if we just, oh, if we just mm, budget this a little bit better, if we just do this a little bit better, we've got hope. You're, you're holding out, but then all of a sudden the day comes up and all... All of a sudden you realize, I don't hope for this anymore. My hope is gone. It's not going to happen. You ever been believing God for something like that? Hope is gone. This is where this little woman is. Hope is gone. All I'm going to do, this is it. I'm going to die. I realize I'm going to die. Might be tomorrow. Might be next week. But if you have not eaten a whole lot for all these days, you got to, she's, she's not, she's not looking real good. She's thin, she's scrawny, she's bony. Her son's probably the same way. There's not much. We're trying to take a little bit we got and spread it out. We're eating as little as we can every day. Trying to hold out. Trying to just survive. But then after a while, you you got past the thing of just surviving. Now, it's done. I, I'm not going to survive. 
So let's just take what we have, eat it all up, and then be gone. When the brook dried up and God gave the command to Elijah, go. And if, if Elijah had waited a day, what would have happened? If he would have waited a day, not obeyed right away, what would have happened? He would have arrived and what would have, what this woman, what would this woman have had? Nothing. Because right now, they're within an hour of making everything they've got and getting rid of it, eating it up. They're going to take it all away. If, if he had waited one more day, one more day, if he had waited a half a day, if he had waited a couple more hours, if he took his time getting there, he would have gotten there and the woman would have had nothing. What does God work with? We've looked at this over the last couple of weeks with the uh, feeding of the 5,000, with a couple of other things. What does God work with? What you have, the woman with the oil in the house, with the big debt. He works with what you have. This woman is within hours of having nothing. And Elijah gets there. You see how timing this, the timing on this thing? When Elijah got the word to go, he needed to go. If he had gotten there a week sooner, what would have happened? Sure. Come on, I'll get you. I'll get a little morsel. I got, you know, I don't have much, but she's probably already given up hope at that point. But, you know, they still, they're still spreading out. We've got a week. But now this is it. This is it. This is, this is our last meal. He got there at exactly the right time. No sooner and no later. He got there exactly when he needed to be there. This was the point of turning for her. At the point where she had no more hope and she had no more supply. All I've got is what this little tiny bit that I, that I have here. And we are going to eat it all now. We're going to get it all now. We're going to cook it up. And it's going to be lights out after that. But the woman is completely truthful. She tells all that she has. She doesn't hide anything down about it. This is all I've got. These are my plans for it. She tells all her plans. She doesn't try and sugarcoat it. Well, we're going to eat this and just hope that God supplies something more. She doesn't say that, does she? Nope, we're going to eat this and die. <laughs> this is it. We got no hope. Oh, I'll tell you what, you got to have some kind of hope. You got to go back to the Word and get some kind of hope. Faith works on hope. If you don't have hope, you can't sit there and say, oh, God, give me some hope. Nope. Hope, hope comes because you believe what the Word promises. If you aren't going to believe what the Word promises, you're not going to have hope. You've got to believe what He says. Everything she confessed to having, what did she confess to having? She had a little flour and a little oil. We're not talking about a whole lot. We're talking about a little bit. A little bit. We can't even make, we can't even stretch this out to two meals for us. This is it. We can, we're barely going to get one out of it. We're just going to make it up. And all that she needs to cook it is a couple of sticks. We're not even talking logs. She's just looking for sticks. That means there's not much there. You might get a mouthful or two. So she tells, tells them everything that she has and all her plans. But everything that she confessed to have was increased. She only confessed to have two things. But everything that she confessed to have was increased. You got to know what you have and you got to declare what it will become. And it will be increased. 
Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. If you have no hope, guess what you have? You're afraid of something. you got no hope. All you got is fear. Hear that noise in the night? Fear comes in. Is there hope? No, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm not hoping that it's somebody I know. I am afraid at what it might be. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. We're talking small. And bring it to me. So he's saying to her this way. Take that little tiny bit of flour and a little tiny bit of oil that you got, and I want you to divide it and make a small cake out of it first. Leave the rest as flour and oil and bring that over to me first. Do that first. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. That's his declaration. He has proclaimed it. Here's the proclamation. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So you're going to have stuff there until the provision comes the other way. But in order for that to happen, she needs to obey. So you've got to bring this thing to a point of completion. And he's, again, he gives simple, short, but important instructions. What's he say to do? Make me a small cake from it first. Not along with. Not at the same time. He said first. Do that first and then bring it back here to me. And then go back and make the other. She needed to follow it that way. How many of y'all know you could be thinking a couple of different ways to do this? Well, I just, I don't really want to, I don't have enough strength to get all the way back out there and come on back. How about if I just make both of them now? He didn't say do that. You can sit there and figure out, well, why do you want me to do it that I don't know. Just do it the way he said. Do it this way. Make me a cake first. Bring it back here. Go on back. Make one for yourself and your son. And from this point on, that flower will continue on. But you got to obey. You got to do it. He said, first off, do not fear. Do not fear. A lot of us have let fears creep in because we let hope go away. Faith is now faith that something bad is going to happen. That's fear. Instead of faith that something good is going to happen, that's hope. That's the difference. That's where it comes from. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Now, you could look at this and say, he's been eating fine for all these months. However many months he's been over there, he's been eating great. Twice a day, the raven's been bringing him food. Elijah does not look like he's been skipping meals. He looks fine. You look at the woman. She looks like she's been skipping some meals. She looks probably bony. And she's looking at Elijah and says, you know what? If there's no food from this day on, you're outliving me. Why do I got to bring you something first? She can come up with all kinds of reasons for it. She can look at him and say, you know, you ought to give me something. But she didn't do that. She went ahead and did it. See, too often we look at giving as compared to need. Well, I need it more than they do, so I won't give. That don't matter. You need to obey. 
What does God say about giving? You need to do it the way that God said to do it. Remember when Jesus was uh, in the temple? And uh, they did offering differently than we do offerings. You know, we have, we have offerings. We pass a bucket. Some places pass the plate. Some places they do it other, other kind of ways. But in Jesus' day, when they had the temple, what happened was at the, end, at the back of the synagogue, you had a bin, and people would come in, and they would put stuff in it. Now, they didn't have checks. They had coins. And so, you know, the bigger, the heavier coin, the more noise it made. If you put in multiple coins, it clang, clang, clang all the way on down. And so, you know, some people gave a lot of money, had a lot of clanging going on. And the people who didn't have a whole lot of money, it was a one piece. And if it's, they don't bang into each other a whole lot, it's a lot quieter. It's a much quieter offering. And so Jesus, he gets on back in the synagogue. And you know what he does? He sits there and watches people what they're giving. How would you like it? If the preacher in a church sat back by the offering plate and watched what you gave. Wait, let me see that again. That all you're giving? Jesus is, is sitting there. Now, Jesus is looking at how much each one gives. He looked at how much each one gave. How dare Jesus do that? What right does Jesus have to sit there and decide, you know, whether people are giving or not? He goes down. He saw, you know, they gave a whole lot. This one. He knows exactly what she gave. What's he say that she gave? You don't even know what it is, but you know it's two mites. <laughs> I don't know what that, that means, but it, it isn't a whole lot of money. That's one of those uh, coins that's probably, they probably decide every year. Should we make this coin again this year? It's really not worth the effort to make this thing. It's just a mite. You know, maybe we just ought to knock it out and just go with the five mites. But they didn't do it. They kept it going on. And so she had these uh, little things and she put them on in there. And what does Jesus say about her? He didn't say, go give that back to her. He didn't say to her, don't give. What did he do? He let her, he, he let the money fall and he let it stay there. She gave all that she had. That was good. Gave all that she had. See you later. <laughs> he let her walk out of the church. Give it all that she had. Sometimes we, we don't always like that idea of God. That God will let poor people give all that they have. But God wants to bless them. Poor people and rich people. But what God wants you to do is to give what he asks and to do as he says. He says, this woman gave more than everybody else did because she gave all that she had. He was impressed with her. This woman is going to give not all that she has, but a good bit of it. Verse 15, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days. We're talking years. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, again, we don't know how much was in there, but we do know that the woman who made stuff every day decided that this was the, all we have is enough for one meal. Can you imagine coming to your bin of flour every day with just enough to make what you need for the day and just a little bit left over and you come in the next day. You, I mean, how many times are you going to keep looking at that and say, man, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? But they were given firm instructions what to do. And so from this point on, I'm sure that she always left some oil and some flour in there so that the next day there would be something else to work, to work with. God works with what you have. 
I put this in your outline to make sure you got it. It is not faith in an action. Sometimes people like to put faith in an action. Well, so-and-so, they got healed by throwing away their medication. So I'm going to throw away my medication, then I'll be healed. No. It's not how it works. It is not faith in an action, nor is it the action itself. But faith in the Word of God that leads us to an action that produces victory. There's a huge difference in people who mimic the actions of other people, people who mimic the words of other people, and people who say what they believe. There is a huge difference in that. And if you, once you get tuned into it, you can pick them out easy. It's real easy to find people who are just saying what they hear other people say and people who believe what they say. There's a big difference in that. You certainly see it with politicians. How many times we see politicians who say things, they don't believe them, but they say them because they think that's what people want to hear. They don't believe it. You get some politicians out there, they actually believe the things that they say. They're a breath of fresh air when you, when you find that. It's not faith in an action nor the action itself, but faith in the Word of God that leads us to an action that produces the victory. The woman went away and she did what was told, what was asked of her. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to go about it. Do it this way and this will happen. The proclamation was made and then the obedience comes. And that's what she did. Now, I was running out of room in your outline on this one, so I, I had to kind of condense your whole last part here. I actually called this frustration, but I uh, didn't have enough room for all that on there. So we actually started off here with the proclamation, the completion, and then here we're going to get into the frustration in 1 Kings chapter 19. You know the story when Elijah ran away from Jezebel after the big battle. And he comes out, and the Lord calls to him in verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. If you go through the whole chapter, you'll find out that there are two occasions. He says this word for word, which means he probably rehearsed it. It means on the way over there, he's probably saying to himself, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, torn down his altars, killed his prophets with the sword, and I alone am the only one left and they seek to take my life. He must have been saying this over and over and over and over. Have you ever asked the person a question and then a week later you ask them that question accidentally again? And maybe a week after that you ask them that question accidentally again? And each time you get exactly the same answer? You know why? Because they've rehearsed it. They've said it a few times. They know what to, they know what to get into. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left, and they seek to take my life. Boy, you are lucky to have me on your team. Telling God, basically. Difference between faith and works here. Faith focuses on what I am to do. What does God say that I should do? That's what faith focuses on. Faith says, God, what am I to do? Where am I to go? And what am I to call for? What am I to call for? 
Where am I to go? What am I to do? This is what faith does. You know what works does? What works focuses on what I have done, what I have been through, and what I have sacrificed. That's what works does. Now, you talk to somebody who's believing God for something in their life, finances, healing, blessing, whatever it might be, and you listen to their conversation. If their conversation goes, God has told me to do this. God has told me to go here. And the Word of God has said, and I proclaim, talking like this, if they start making noises like, like that, speaking words of that nature, well, guess what? There's some faith there. But if you talk to the same people and out of their mouth comes, well, I've done this. Well, I did that already. I did that twice a day. Oh, I did that too. Oh, yeah, I was doing that. Oh, and you don't know what I've been through because I've been through this and I've been through this and this and this and going on and this and this is going on and what I have given up. Oh, I've given up for God this. Oh, I've given up God for God this. Oh, I've given all these things up. What are we doing? Now, see, I ran out of room, so I couldn't put this on there for you. If you want to fill it in on yours, you can go ahead and fill it in on yours. If not, then don't do it. But here's another way to put it. Faith direction. If I am in faith, faith direction is easy to see. Faith direction is from where I am in the future. If this is the future out here, this is faith direction. Faith is always looking at where I am. I am mindful of where I am, but my eyes are set on where I'm going. I'm very aware of where I am, what I am in, what is going on with my body, what is going on with my finances, but I am looking ahead. And everything that you talk to me about is about what I see, which is ahead. If you ask me what is behind me, what do I have to do? I had to turn around, don't I? Because all I can tell you about is what I see. So when you ask a person a question and they start talking to you about what they see, you can find out where their eyes are. Their eyes are ahead. Now, works is the opposite. Works is from where I am to the past. Its eyes are not on the future. Its eyes on what I've done. I've been through that. I tried that. I did that. I am always looking at the past. What, I, what didn't work, what failed, what I believed, what I heard, I'm not looking towards the future. The Word of God always points to the future. Faith looks ahead. Works looks behind. It's really easy to tell which way you're in. Faith looks ahead. Now, if you get a person and they're in works and they think they're in faith, it's tough. Because there's, there's nothing worse than trying to tell a person, you are not looking ahead. I am too. No, you're not. You're looking behind. No, I'm not. I'm looking ahead. Sometimes I listen to Brother Keith, Brother Keith Moore, and he talks about flying. I've never been one who flies, but he tells us in, in, in the, some of the things with flying that there are certain things that can go on when you are flying to cause you to completely lose all orientation. He said he has talked with pilots who are flying upside down and are certain that they are not, that they are right side up. Can you imagine being upside down and not knowing that you're upside down? You've got a tower looking at the pilot. Pilot, you are upside down. I am not. 
Pilot, you are upside down. Turn your plane around before you land. I am not upside down. They're the kind of conversation would go on. They say something can happen with your inner ear and your entire orientation is messed up. You don't know which way is up. Which is why that airplanes come with instruments. Instruments tell you whether you're up or down. Whether you're north or south. Because you need to look at the instruments. You cannot always fly by what you see or by what you feel. You will die. And so there's a couple of different uh, ratings of pilots. One of the ratings of pilots is instrument rated. If you are not instrument rated as a pilot, you cannot fly in bad weather or if bad weather is expected. If anything that would come in that would challenge what you see, you are not allowed to fly that plane. You are not instrument rated. I am neither instrument nor non-instrument rated as a pilot. They wouldn't let me fly at all. Rightfully so. <laughs> but if you get behind the, the cockpit, you need to be able to fly the plane if the cockpit was painted black. And just look at your instruments and be able to fly from that because your instruments will tell you where you are. See, folks, the Word of God is telling us where we are. The Word of God is pointing in a direction and it is saying, you are here, you are there, you are over here. No, I'm not. Uh-uh. I am not upside down. I don't know what you're looking at, but I am not upside down. I am fine. The Word of God comes in and says, you're upside down. The Word of God can come in and says, you're not in faith, you're in works. I am not in works. I'm in faith. All right, let's, let's do the test. Which way are you looking? I'm looking forward. I know I'm looking forward. Oh, yeah? What are you talking about? Where I've been? What I've been through? What I've sacrificed? You're not looking forward. You're looking behind. What is Elijah doing here? 1 Kings chapter 19. Which way is Elijah looking? Look at what he's saying. Get your instrument rating up there. Listen, look at what he's saying. What's he saying to you? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Which way is he looking? He's looking behind. In chapter 17, which way was he looking? Ahead. Boy, can you get turned around fast. If Elijah can get turned around in his walk in two chapters, after a tremendous victory on a mountain with fire coming down from heaven, if he can get turned around, guess what? So can you. And if you get turned around, it's a whole lot better that somebody come along and turn you back than you keep on going in the wrong direction. Because you keep on going in the wrong direction, you're going to die. Get turned around. Get going back in the right direction. What's your conversation like? It does not help if you disguise your conversation around people who are going to pinpoint a problem. <laughs> that doesn't help you. What's your conversation like? What's your conversation like with yourself? This is the conversation that Elijah had with himself. I have been very zealous for God. Boy, God is lucky to have me on his team. What is it? He realized how much I've been through, how much I've sacrificed. I have no family. I have no wife. I have no kids. I've given it all up for God. And then this woman wants to come along and kill me. And where's God at? <laughs> oh, how easy we can get turned around. And guess who thinks he's right? I know he thinks he's right because you don't come out before God 
and tell him this if you don't think you're right. If you think you're wrong, you don't say this. Not to God. Maybe to somebody else, but you don't say it to God. <laughs> you might be able to think that I can, I can snow some of the people, but I can't with God. He's, he's going to know. But he comes right out to God. And God comes out in, in some strong ways. I have been zealous for the Lord. <laughs> and you're giving God his inventory on his prophets. In case you don't know this, I'm the only one left. There's no one in all the land except me. And what's God tell him after, if he, if he kept on going? Remember what God says to him? <laughs> By the way, Elijah, I got a thousand more like you. And they're all just waiting to take your place. In fact, I'll tell you what, go out there and anoint one to take your place. Go find Elisha. I want you to anoint him. He's going to take your place, okay? <laughs> Man, don't try and tell God his inventory. If God knows the hairs of your head, he knows his inventory really well. He knows who he's got and who he doesn't. Stop looking behind. Stop looking at what you did that was good. And get yourself focused on what has God declared? What has God said? And go after those things. Father God, I am ignoring the failures of my past. I'm getting into your word to get in me built up the hope that I need. Because Hope is what my faith needs to work on, not fear. I can have faith in fear, but God wants you to have faith and hope. Hope for good things, good things that are coming on. What is my focus? Is it on what I am to do, where I am to go, what I am to call for? How many times would we be like Naaman? And we're looking at what we're supposed to do and we're justifying, well, should I do it this way? I don't know if, you know, this, that's not such a good river. Seven times, really seven times, isn't two times enough. I mean, really, even one time. What we do is we take the commands that God says and we just do them. The reason we get frustrated a whole lot of time is because we aren't doing it right. We aren't doing it right. We need to do it right. And God has given you some help. He's given you some, some help in the thing. Let God help you. Let God help you. God is going to speak some things to you. He's going to help you out with some things. What is he saying for you to do? Now, when God speaks something to us, God is never wrong. He's never off. Some things that we depend on in this world, they can be off. They can be wrong. But God is never off. If he tells you, you don't have faith, don't sit there and say, I do too. And begin to go into the past of all the different things. If God says you're not obedient, don't say, I am too. And begin to list from all the things that you are obedient on. If God says you're not obedient, if God says you're not in faith, if God says you're not whatever, say, yes, sir. What do I do to change that? That's it. It's, that's what you got to do. You know, in, the, in this life, we're used to things being off. I was on a, probably the longest trip for delivery I was on on Friday. And what was supposed to be a two and a half hour trip ended up being a four hour trip. They gave me the wrong address. So uh, it was further out. So I'm on Long Island. My first time on Long Island. And I've decided I do not like Long Island. Long Island is boring. 
If you think the Pinelands of New Jersey are boring to drive through, dear Lord, the Long Island Pinelands are even more boring. I did not like them at all. I don't ever desire to go back. I did not tell the people that I took the beds to to find other people that I would come up because I won't. <laughs> I didn't like it up there. But I'm up there. We're delivering the beds. I had more stuff on that truck than we had ever put on in my entire time doing all this sort of thing. But we put that on out there, and I got done delivering, and I'm heading home, driving on down the boring turnpike or drive to, to get home, driving on down the thing. And all of a sudden, on my dashboard comes up a message. Your right front tire is low. Now, normally, I have about 44, 45 pounds of pressure in my tires. And my car is nice. It tells me how much is in each one. Isn't that great? Oh, thank God for that kind of stuff. I'll tell you, improvements. Ah. But in this, in this case, it really helped me out. So it tells me my right front tire is low. And it tells me the weight on it right now is 26 pounds. That's why it flashed up with an emergency. So I switched my dash. Instead of it giving me the other information it was giving me, it now is giving me the reading on the tire. And I'm watching the tire. And I had that tire go from 26 to 25 the 24, I'm saying, Father God, I need, to have, I need to find a place to get a tire. Now, it's about 7 o'clock on a Friday night on Long Island, a place I don't know, haven't been to. So it's going down. So um, I get off at an exit, and I see a Lowe's. Lowe's, had, no, has Fix-A-Flat. So I get over to the Lowe's, and I buy a can of the Fix-A-Flat, and I go out to my right front tire, and I put the fix-a-flat in the right t- front tire, even though the right front tire looks fine to me, but the car tells me the right front tire is dangerously low. Put that in there. Now I need to go to find a place to put some air in it. So I saw a gas station as well. went on down to the gas station. The gas station had air. You need 75 cents. I happened to have three quarters in my pocket. Put the three quarters in. We're getting ready to put the three quarters in, but I, I had a, a tester, so I, I went around with a tester just to make sure, and I tested that tire to see what it was. And when I put my tester on the thing, it came up 46 pounds on the right front tire. So I went over to the left front tire. That was at 45, 46 pounds as well. So I went over to the back tires. The back tire checked out okay, but the left back tire was now at 19 pounds. You don't know, the left back tire is not the same thing as the right front tire. It's a different tire. So I went back into the gas station to see if they had more fix-a-flat or if I had to go back up to Lowe's and buy another can of fix-a-flat. Well, they had the fix-a-flat. It's just you know, three bucks more. So I bought the can of fix-a-flat, put that into the left back tire. Then I put my three-quarters, because I only had three-quarters, put the three-quarters into the air machine and filled it on up with air. It sounded like that sucker was really having a hard time putting air in. It must be, it's filled to, they must have 45 pounds of pressure and you're trying to get 45 pounds of pressure into your tire. I don't know what it was, but it just we, we sat there for a long time. Finally got it up to the point where it was only five pounds lower than the rest of the tires that were on there, and off we went. And from that point on, all I am doing is watching my tire for three hours, three and a half hours on the ride home. I think it was actually about four hours at that point. A four-hour ride home, all I have on my register is what is that tire doing? Except I don't want to know what the right front tire is doing. I want to know what the left rear tire is doing. And the left rear fire stayed and it held steady the entire way on home. We got through. I knew we had all kinds of nasty storms going on up over here. And so I knew I was coming into that. Got through the storms. 
parked the truck, got on out, all done for the day. Went out there the next morning because I had to take the truck on out and tested the tire. It was at 14 pounds of pressure. So I got my air hose out, pumped it back up, did the driving around I need, called my tire guy, said I need to come on over and get the tire fixed. He said, okay, bring it on by. I got on in there. It took a while, but they finally got to my thing and he pulled out a big, he said it was a stick. A stick got driven inside the tire and he said it was so big I really can't patch this. We got to get you a new tire. But he said, I'm trying to get you something to get you on by. So he put three of those little patch holes that they do to patch a hole in, put three of them in there and tried to seal up all around that so that the air wouldn't leak out, tested it out, it seemed to be holding. And so off I was. But tire held out. But thank God for some instruments, even though they gave me the wrong information. <laughs> they did tell me that one of the tires was bad. I just had to get out and figure out which one it was. I told that to the tire guy. He says, oh, you probably got them rotated. And uh, when they rotated them, they didn't... Um, they didn't change the sensors, or they didn't, whatever they didn't do. So he says, we'll make sure we take care of that for you. <laughs> and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll take care of that. But, you know, the, the instrument gave me the right information. It just told me in the wrong spot. But God's not like that. When God gives you, and he says it's the right front tire, you can bank on it. It's the right front tire. It don't matter if that right front tire looks okay. It's the right front tire. It's whatever it is, he says, in your life. If he says, this is where you're missing in your life, this is where you're missing it. Listen to God. If faith is not working, it's probably because you are in works, thinking you're in faith. And it is tough when you're in a place like Elijah and you think you're in faith, but you are in works. Your vision is not ahead. It is switched to behind and you don't even know it. You will not have success. You will have frustration. You'll have anger. You'll become upset. But God wants you to get over it. God wants you to take it. Listen to his word. Take when his word speaks something to you. Yes, sir. Oh, I'll change that. Oh, I'm going to turn that around. Oh, I'm going to do that. We can't be resistant. And this is why we got into this here today. The purpose of this whole series is, am I steady or am I stubbornly holding on to the things that I think are right? Am I steady in the things of God? Or am I just stubbornly holding on to these things that I think are right? That's what we need to get back on. So we went off on a couple of little rabbit trails, but they were important for where we're going to get in the areas of frustration, the areas of taking on the impossible. Now we're going to get back on to where we are. Am I being steady for God or am I just flat out stubborn? And I'm not willing to change. I'm going to say, nope, this is... I'm in faith. No, no, I'm doing right. If it's not working, you need to fix something up. You need to go out there and, and change it up. Would you all stand up with me? As we prepare for communion here this morning, there's a song that embodies a lot of these things that we were talking about here today. And I want you to listen to the words. The words will come up on the screen so you can see them and hear them. If you want to sing along with it, absolutely feel, feel good to do that. But... This is a song by Paul Balash called Today is the Day. Before we start that, ushers, would you come forward? Our ushers are going to be passing around the elements for you to take.